Well, I was on my way home from the grocery store on an ordinary February day a couple years ago. Um, five, I guess. Sheila said it's been five since we moved to Holland. And so um, we had just moved to this new community in Holland, Michigan, um, from oh so far away, Iowa. I didn't realize Western Michigan's its own like continent. So if you don't come from Michigan, it's, you're really from really far away. So we had moved from really far away. We had uprooted our whole family. We have five kids. Um, I had one in every school building that you could have. I had a high school, a junior high, an intermediate. I had a elementary school kid, and so we plopped them out of this life that they'd always known, um, just filled with extended family and grandparents and cousins, and we followed this call of the Lord to Holland, and it really was a call. People would say, why did you move? Did your husband get a job? Yeah, he did, but we wouldn't have followed the job if we hadn't heard the voice. And so there I was um, on an ordinary February day, eight weeks into my new life in Holland, and I was pulling out of the grocery store parking lot, and I saw her. She was standing between two dingy snowdrifts on the corner of a busy intersection. She had this tattered flannel pulled around her middle and this cardboard sign in her hand that was broadcasting her desperation. And I was stopped at the red light right by that corner, and I'm really embarrassed to admit that my knee-jerk reaction was to do this. Like somehow, if I don't see her, it erases her need. But that light, that light just stayed red, and it would not turn. And so as I sat there, I felt that, that kind of stirring in my heart, and I bet you know what I'm talking about, sort of a squeeze of conviction on your spirit, tied with a little flip-flopping of your stomach, and you're like, what do I do? And so I peeked this way at the sign. When I read the sign, I had a sigh of relief because it said, need work, please help. And I thought to myself, as a new person in Holland, Michigan, I can't even get to Target without a GPS yet. So surely that's not for me. That's not my assignment. I don't have a single connection here in town. We've yet to find a church. I don't know anyone in the community. I'm a mom who works from home, so I don't know any places of work. (sighs) That one's not for me. Sure, there's someone else who can respond to that sign. And so, light turned green, and I veered past the corner. I looked one more time at the woman on the corner. I shot up a quick prayer. I knew that God would help her out, and I continued on my drive home. Somewhere about a mile down the road, just heard this voice that said, Hey, turn around, go back to the corner. Now, don't misunderstand me. It was an audible voice. In fact, it sounded a lot like my own voice. It was just a thought in my head that wouldn't go away. It was this pressing thought, almost like when you get the lyric of a song stuck in your mind and you wish you hadn't ever heard it because you can't stop singing it. So I just have on repeat, let's go back to the corner. And my heart is beating a little faster and my spirit is kind of quickening and I'm arguing. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Not only am I new to town and I have no idea how to help a woman who needs work, but also, Lord, do you see what I have? I've got three gallons of milk in my trunk, two dollar bills in my wallet, and one really crabby preschooler in the back of my van. But I just kept hearing it turn around. And so finally I just veered into a parking lot and I turned my van along around because I know the voice. That's a familiar voice. That was the voice of Jesus. 
and I have come to understand that the voice of Jesus turns an ordinary day in February into an extraordinary day. And in fact, I have come to really believe that the voice of Jesus turns an ordinary life into an extraordinary life. And when we begin to tune our ears to the voice that spoke the world into existence, he begins to tune his heart to ours. And suddenly, the same God who scripted the story that started the world and God said begins to script a story through our obedient feet and our listening ears, and he impacts stories in the kingdom through people who are willing to follow his voice. So I turn the car around. I think so often the thing that we talk about when we talk about hearing from Jesus it is like, well, like I'm not sure he really talks to me. I think we've made it something really mystical kind of unusual. Like, sure, maybe now and then Jesus would talk to us, um, but what we forget is that actually we have an incredibly conversational God. From the very beginning, God's word makes it clear that we have a God who speaks. We see it all through scripture, beginning with Genesis, the very first story in the secret book that we love. It says, in the beginning, God God spoke the world into existence. He created skies and seas and flowers and trees. But he didn't just create with his voice. He continued to speak. From the moment he created this world, our lives, this piece of his plan for eternity, then he began to speak not just to create flowers and trees and worlds and galaxies. He started to speak to create intimacy with his children. He started to speak to bring healing and hope and guidance and encouragement and epiphanies and conviction. We don't have time to explore all the different times God spoke to his people in this word, but let me give you a quick run-through in case for some reason um, you need a little convincing. Genesis 3.8, Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day. God didn't just walk with them, he talked with them. They knew he was in the garden because they heard his voice. Genesis 12, God spoke to Abraham about these audacious plans to bless him. Look at the stars. Yep, that's going to be your inheritance. Your descendants will more than number those stars. What? To an old man whose wife had long passed childbearing age, God spoke. And then he spoke to Moses from that burning bush, but that was just the first time. From then on out, he spoke to Moses like a man speaks with his friend, the scripture says. He spoke to all the Israelites when he gave the Ten Commandments from the mountain. He spoke to Joshua, and he gave him battle plans, and Gideon, and gave him ridiculous battle plans. He entered in, and he spoke all through history. Amos 3 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. And then just to keep us humble, he spoke from the mouth of a donkey. It's a good one. I guess that's proof he can speak through anyone or anything. 
in the New Testament begins with God speaking to a very startled old man, Zechariah, and then on to a young, humble young girl named Mary, and then to a confused and discouraged and probably very hurt carpenter named Joseph. And that's just the beginning of the New Testament because after that, he actually wrapped his voice in flesh and sent it to earth in the person of Jesus. I love how John starts his gospel. He says, the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory. And that word, the word, is translated in a lot of the translations that we're familiar with as word. But the Bible um, commentaries, the Bible scholars say that word that describes Jesus, the living word, is actually one of probably the most loaded theological words in scripture. Because while in the English language we grasp for something to describe what is this, the living word, God in skin, his word, really um, it's so much more than that. The word more accurately, accurately is probably reflected in the concept of voice. And the voice became flesh and lived among us. Because voice implies interaction. And voice implies not just speaking, but listening. And voice implies that we tune our ears. I mean, we could go on and on through the pages of the New Testament, mentioning Peter and Paul and Philip all the way to John, who was shocked to hear a voice that he knew on the island of Patmos when he was in exile. Imagine that. He's been exiled, probably plans to live and die on this island for prisoners. And then one day, while he was in worship, the voice that gave us the revelation. There's a pattern in scripture that's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. And it's simply this, our God is a talker. When my son Joshua, who is 11 now, when he was in kindergarten, um, there's a teacher who would come and do a little pull-out reading things with kids who were struggling. And Joshua struggled with reading a lot when he was young. And so he got to have Mrs. Corver. And Mrs. Corver would come and pull him out, and he thought it was great. And all my other kids were going... And you're like, don't tell him, don't tell him. He thought he was chosen. He thought he was a special one. And so Mrs. Corver was a friend of mine from church, and we did Bible study together, and we knew each other well. And um, so she knew who I was. But Josh didn't know Mrs. Corver, and she did not know Josh. So in um, one conversation one day, after they'd read a little book on um, careers or jobs you could have someday, she was talking with the kids and said, you know, tell me, what do your mom and dad do? What, what kind of jobs your mommy and daddy have? And Josh said, well, my dad is a doctor and my mom is a talker. (laughs) To which Mrs. Corver responded, "Um, Josh, I know that, but what does she do? (laughs) Well, what Mrs. Corver didn't understand is he was actually trying to explain what I do. Because what Josh knew is that now and then I'd pack my bags and I'd leave for a day or two and I'd go and talk somewhere. And he knew that when I did that, I usually... um, left and came home, and yeah, I got paid to talk, so that must be a job, so I'm a talker. But you see, I think that's how we could describe God, too. Talking is who he is. He is the living word, but talking is also what he does. He speaks. 
He speaks into our moments. He speaks into our life. He speaks, in fact, um, Hebrews 1, 1 says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. And that his spoken, again, um, is actually a verb that implies an ongoing speaking. He speaks through his son. Not just in this book, but still today. So really, the question that demands an answer from us, the question we need to ask ourselves and then in turn ask our students, isn't, does God talk? The question is, do we listen? And then maybe, how do we listen? I feel like if we could sit down with Peter, James, and John um, and just kind of like share coffee, sip at Starbucks, they would probably have some stories to tell. But I think at least one of them, as we chatted, would have to tell us about that moment that usually gets this little bold um, title in our Bibles called the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't think they'd call it that. I would be like, I bet they'd say, like, the day we wet our pants. <laughs> I mean, you know the story. Jesus handpicks these three guys, takes them to the mountain. You know they're feeling so special. It's just us. Kind of like Josh in a special class. They do not know. They're in for some remedial education on who this Jesus is. And so they get up there, and suddenly Jesus is dazzling, he's bathed in glory. I love how they try to explain it. You start reading that section in different gospels and different translations. It's like, he was whiter than white that can get white with bleach. He was dazzling. He was radiant. Like, we can't even come up with words. And you know how it works. Then suddenly Elijah and Moses are there chatting with Jesus. It's this glorious moment. And then there's Peter, who after a while just doesn't know what to do, so he starts talking, right? Oh, it's really good that we should be here. Like, I've got a plan. We'll build these little shelters here. And, and at that point... I love how the message says it. He was babbling because he didn't know that what he, would, what he was saying because he was just terrified. Yeah. And as Peter starts babbling, basically, I'm sure Jesus is trying not to laugh because at this point he's like, man, just you should just shut up and listen. And in fact, if that's what Jesus was thinking, um, his father was too. And at that point, it's when the voice came from a cloud. And this is what God said. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Isn't it crazy to think God has the rapt attention of the three men that he knows he is going to build his church on? This is Peter and James and John who are going to go on and like live out what we think of as so much of the New Testament. These three men that are going to carry the torch of the early church, who are going to take what they know of the resurrected Christ, and they're going to spread it across the world. These three men, God could say anything to them for preparation for that mighty job that they don't even know is coming. And all he says is this, this is my son. Know who Jesus is. And listen. That's it. Know Jesus. Listen. I really think we make it so much harder than it is. I really think we've complicated the way that, that God intended for us to walk out faith. It, it's not by a script, it's not by a formula. 
I'm sorry, because I know I'm in a room with a lot of really smart teachers, but it's not even about knowing what's in this book. It's about knowing who this book proclaims. The word is valuable, but the living word is the one who guides our feet. My five kids are spread out between the ages of 20 and 10 right now. And sometimes I look at these older ones of mine and I try to imagine the way God's going to use them as we launch them because we are now at the phase where I thought I would never, ever get out of diapers. Now I'm realizing that I'm launching and pretty soon I won't have any trace of the craziness in my home. And I think, what, what, what do I want them to know? Does anyone teach seniors? Oh, what, do I, what do you need? We have one you love, right? And so I just, this thing rolls up inside, like, what do I want you? What, what haven't I said that I need to say? Where are you not equipped that you'll be? And there's lots, right? So many gaps. That's okay. But anymore, I come back to, I just, just want you to know him. That's all you need. It'll be bumpy. You'll get it wrong. Oh, but that voice that'll pull you back. It'll guide your steps. It'll unfold his plan for you instead of any great plan that I could think of. Listen. God didn't say from the mountain, this is my son, love him. I wonder if it's because he knows that as we listen, we grow in intimacy. Listening is the ultimate act of love. You know that if you're married, it's kind of one thing to talk at a spouse is another just to close your own mouth and listen. Maybe that's harder at my house then. Maybe some of you don't have a hard time with that. That's a big deal. He didn't say follow him. I think God already knew that before we can follow, we have to hear. He didn't say believe him. Because Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. He said, listen. I think God's word for James and Peter and John is still his word for us today. Listen. We are God's children and we're formed by his voice and he holds the world together with his voice and he holds us together with his voice and he forms our stories with his voice. In his book, The Listening Life, Adam McHugh writes, Listening comes first, always. In this life, you listen even before you're aware of it. From within the womb, an unborn child is already listening to the voices of her parents. After her birth, she will spend the next months hearing the words they speak, whisper and sing to her until one day she'll start to echo the words, one imperfect syllable at a time. I think this is sometimes where we get it wrong. When it comes to learning how to live out abundant life, listening always comes first. It's the most basic element of our relationship. It's what God wants from us. As we spend time listening to his word, it shapes and forms us and then eventually we find his word spilling from our mouth and directing and invading the kingdom in ways that we couldn't have done if we hadn't first been listeners. Psalm 46, David is starting to figure this out. He's wrestling with what does God even want? What does he want? 
And you know this one well. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings, sin offerings you didn't require. I just said, here I am. Here I am. The language used to, in that Psalm 46 is, my ears you have opened, but kind of the original language has an archaeological sort of slant to it, and very literally it's my ears you have dug out. Something happens at the moment of salvation. We are reborn in Christ, and we get these new ears. He starts to dig out whatever would keep her ears from hearing the voice of the Lord because as children it is our inherent right to hear our father's voice it's been dug out I wonder how our world would be different if our students were launched into the world knowing and believing that they could hear from Jesus I wonder what kingdom work would be done that has been missed when they listen. I wonder what futile things would not happen because they weren't told to do it. I wonder how the kingdom of God would move if we became a people of open ears. I love the story that um, one of our great contemporary pastors of, of, the, of the day, who's, who's really um, had a hand in so much kingdom work around the globe, he tells a story. He talks about sitting in Miss Van in second grade class in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'm going to put on my really cool lady glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He talks about it was almost recess time when Miss Van Solen was telling the Bible story. And he was listening because he knew that after the Bible story came the words you may go out for recess. So he didn't want to like tune out because he wanted to be the first one out for recess. So he was listening. And on this day, the story was about this little boy named Samuel. Samuel, who heard God speaking three times over. He didn't figure it out the first time, but eventually he did. What struck this pastor one day, great pastor as a little boy, was the fact that the content of this amazing message from God got conveyed through the ears and lips of a little boy. So now I'll pick up the story as he writes it. The recess bell rang and Miss Vinsolin stood and my classmates made a rush for the room single door and typically I was the first kid on the field, but not today. Today I found myself glued to my seat. The story she'd read had leveled me for reasons I didn't even understand. When the room had emptied, save for Miss Van Solen and me, I eased out of my desk, stuffed my hands deep in my pockets, and walked up to my teacher. What is it, Billy? She asked, probably fearing the worst, given that it was recess and I was still inside. Miss Van Solen, I said, as my throat began to choke up, does God still speak to little boys? She smiled and let out a relief sigh, placing her two hands on my small shoulders. She looked me square in the eye. Oh, yes, Billy, she said. He most certainly does. And if you learn to quiet yourself and listen, he will even speak to you. I'm sure of it. Teachers, I can't read this without weeping. Because what if your students heard you say yes? Yes, I'm certain Jesus will speak to you. I felt a 
12 releases I considered for the first time in my seven years that maybe Christianity was more than ancient rules and creeds and stiff-necked ways. Maybe God did speak and maybe he'd speak to me. Satisfied by her answer, I turned ahead onto the baseball fields. Billy, Ms. Van Solen called, I have something for you. She reached into the top drawer of her desk. For some reason, I've kept this poem here, but I think you should have it. It might help you, given what we've talked about today. She slipped a folded piece of paper into my palm, and with her knowing nod, I was dismissed. I pulled out my pajamas that night, and my <clears throat> mind kept drifting back to the idea that maybe God would someday speak to me. I rummaged through the pockets of my school pants and pulled out the paper. Opening the folds and flattening out its creases, I discovered a poem, words about having Samuel's ears to hear God every day. The next day before recess, Miss Vinsolin read a Bible story that meant nothing to me. I faked a tin of nest knowing it would help my baseball game come sooner. When the bell rang, I was running out the door, and she said, Billy, not so fast. What did you think of the poem I gave you, she asked. I really liked it. You mean you actually read it? Yeah, no, um, I memorized it. No way, she said flabbergasted. Yes way, I did. She called my bluff. Can you say it for me? I took up the dare. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, I said. An open ear, O oh Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of your word. Like him to answer to your call and to obey you first of all. I wonder what would happen if we raised and taught and loved on and walked with a generation of children who had Samuel's ear. I wonder what would happen if we were teachers and parents and friends and church members who believed that we too had Samuel's ear, that God speaks to us, and it's our right to hear his voice, and it's our privilege to follow where he leads. I think the question isn't, can I hear from God? I don't think the question needs to be, is that you? So often I think we get stuck. I think that many of us do believe God speaks. I think that many of us do agree with the scriptures, that he's speaking still. I think that, but I think sometimes where we get stuck is a fear. I do think you speak, but how will I know it's you? And what would happen if it wasn't you and I listened? And this kind of fear can keep us from really opening our heart and our ears to the voice of the Lord. But the more I study scriptures, the more I think that's the wrong question too. It's not, how do I know it's you? The question is, how well do I know you? Because see, the scripture is very clear that our ears are honed by intimacy. Listening and loving go side by side. Jesus says in John 10, 10, I've come to give you life, life, and more life. I've come to give you abundant life, life to the full. And that word starts today. It wasn't speaking of a time out there in the future. It was like a right now. I've come now that you have life. And in the same breath, he says, I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. When you hear my voice, you'll follow because the sheep know the shepherd. I think the way we grow to be people who are listening and hearing Jesus' voice is we grow in intimacy. There's no magic formula to this. The starting place is love. If we want to recognize the voice of God, we need to develop hearts that know the heart of God. I mean, there's many ways to do that. But I think the best place to start is His Word. 
But when we open his word, we don't open it just to find information. We open it to experience transformation. And the way we encounter the voice of the Lord in his word is we remember that we're reading for a person, not a program. And in this great mystery called the living word, and because Hebrew says the word is active and alive, we open this up fully expected that on these pages we'll encounter Jesus. We don't read for a what, we read for a who. And as we find the who in scripture, we begin to know him. And we begin to know his voice. When we hear it on the page, it starts to tune our ears so we can recognize it off the page. I know the voice of my children well, right? I mean, I know it in my house. I can hear them. I can hear them fighting. I can hear them yelling. I can hear them singing in the shower. I know the voice of my children well. But if I would go to Holland Christian High School and wander the halls at break time, passing time, when it's filled with voices and conversations and laughter and talking and buzz. I'm not in my home anymore. Will I know my child's voice? What a crazy thing that if I were meandering the halls and it was just all a buzz and I heard one voice behind me, I would stop and turn. Because so I would know that was my daughter. I know her voice. We've done life together for 18 years. I know her voice. Why would it be any different with Jesus? You know Jesus. You know his voice. The enemy has got us frozen to follow his voice. The what if, what if I don't know you, whatever. You know him. If you know him, you'll know his voice. He promises that. The question isn't how do I know if it's you. The question is how well do I know you? How well do I know you? That's where it starts. Intimacy is the key to acknowledging his voice. I think that Adam McHugh, um, again, the author of The Listening Life, says it really well when he explains that listening to the scriptures is how we familiarize ourselves with God's voice. On these pages, we come face to face, ear to mouth with our creator, redeemer, sustainer. The Bible should never close us to hearing God's voice in other venues. Rather, it ought to open us to recognize it wherever we are. In a sense, the scriptures are a tuning fork for adjusting our ears to the tone of God's voice. And it tunes us to the quality, the pitch, the cadence of God's voice, and to the character his voice expresses so we can identify his true voice over false one. Here's where we grow in intimacy. And sometimes it's out there where we grow in obedience. When the voice off the page says, Hey, do that. This is what I want. Will you follow? When we start to follow that voice on the page, off the page, it turns life from kind of a humdrum into a holy adventure. When my daughter Lizzie was four and a half, we were making birthday treats for preschool. If you're a summer birthday, you celebrate the half. So it was February, and she was squatted up on the counter. We were rolling out cookies, and we're making conversation. And I said to Lizzie, yeah, so, you know, tell me, what's so great about being four and a half instead of just plain old four? And Lizzie, like, swipes her crazy curls out of her eyes, and she thinks for just a second, and she goes, oh, that's easy. I totally love my new ears. <laughs> oh. I said, well, 
so great about your new ears? What makes your four and a half year old ears different than your four year old ears? And she goes, well, these are the ones that hear Jesus. What happened after that was what I would only just call an incredible adventure. Lizzie, who was petrified in the dark and was a child who had me running up and down the stairs all night long in just a sleepy stupor of trying to calm her down, trying to set her a little heart at ease, stop screaming and yelling all night long. And it, like one day I just realized, oh my goodness, I haven't done like midnight calisthenics in so long. What is going on? And I said, Lizzie, um, you, you don't seem to be afraid at night anymore. What's happening? She goes, well, you know, it's just fine. When I wake up at night, I just use my new ears and Jesus just tells me stories. We'd be at the park, and she would come and say to me, Yeah, Mom, see that little boy in the sandbox? Uh, Jesus just told me he wishes he had a mom to push him on the swing. Would you just push him on the swings? Simple, simple, childlike faith as she listened and learned and followed. One night when I was incredibly exhausted, at this point we had five kids over ten, and I went to bed, and I got up the next morning, and I thought, I cannot do this. Probably the same week I told my husband, like, can a woman actually, like, die from sleep deprivation? He said, no. Usually they, like, usually how it happens is they they lose their mind and they take their lives. (laughs) Perfect doctor response. So this is the week I told my husband to hide the knives because I was getting really close. And um, I woke up one morning and I just straight up said, Laura, I don't think I can do this. I think I'm going to stay in bed and I don't know what you're going to do with all those kids out there, but you could figure it out. And I uh, stumble out, and there on the table is a red special plate. We have this little plate that says, you are special, you are loved. Sitting on the table with, like, some very brown fruit that looked like it had been chopped up haphazardly, and a little note that said, welcome, Jesus, we're glad you're here. My daughter woke up, the one with new ears, and I said, what, what were you doing? And she said, well... I just knew in the morning that um, I wanted Jesus to stick around and eat breakfast with us, so I thought I would just drive him with a special plan. <laughs> what she didn't know is her mom needed a really big reminder that Jesus was here, that he was welcome, that I wasn't alone with a tribe of children. Those ears, they lead us on adventures. And that's why on that day... I turned the van around, and I went back to that street corner. And I would be lying if I said I just felt really empowered and super confident. (laughs) I just felt obedient. Because you see, the love language of Jesus is obedience. If you love me, you will do what I say. And so as we begin to listen, the natural response is, as we walk in love with our Savior is to follow. In fact, it's crazy. The original language of listen and obedience is so much the same. They come from the same root that you actually can't really um, extract the two. You can't really change it out. So obedience, actually in the original language, means deep listening or listening from the deep. And so tied to open ears becomes obedient feet. And if we stop at open ears but we don't move on to obedient feet, we're still missing the adventure. 
So we learn to listen, and then we learn to follow. And as we follow, we let Jesus script it, because we're following a person, not a program. And this, I'll be honest, is where it gets a little scary. Because if you remember right, the, the, the um, writer I say is very clear. My ways are like your ways. I don't do stuff the way you do things. I don't think the way you think. And so often God asks us to follow in the places that don't make sense. Like, go back to a corner for a woman who needs work when you have $2 in your billfold and you're new to town. Or maybe bigger. Uproot your whole family. Leave all the grandparents. Follow me here. Maybe bigger. Trust me as I walk you through cancer. Trust me when I say I've got it. I want your money over here. This is where I need it. I know that doesn't make sense because there goes your savings account. Open ears that don't lead to obedient feet just make us religious. But open ears that lead to obedient feet make us adventurers. So that day I went back to the corner, parked the car in the parking lot nearby, and I said to my four-year-old, I'm stay right here. <laughs> I don't know where she was going to go. <laughs> well, her preschool teacher is here. Yeah, yeah, that was a nice thing to do. And I left her in, Mary. Yeah, I her in. <laughs> and I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go talk to that lady on the corner. I grabbed my two dollars and I started walking with her. And that was a little arguing with the Lord. So you can be obedient and a little bit arguing. And so I'm walking to the corner and I'm saying, God, like, really, what if I offend her? Heck, I'm going to come offer two dollars. That's almost offensive. What if, what if this makes things worse? And I, I'm talking, but I, I walk up to the woman and I say to her, say to her hi. What, what do you need? What can I do? And she sets down her sign, and she says, yeah, I need help. I need work. And she starts to tell me her story of the first bad, bad luck that made her lose her home, and the next thing that made her lose her job, and, and the child that's been sick, and the medical bills that sunk them, and she tells me her story as we stand on the corner between two dingy mounds of snow, and as everyone who went this way, when she stood alone, went this way, now that we were together. And I listened. I just listened. I didn't fix it. I couldn't fix it. When she was all done telling her story, I gave her my stupid two dollars, and I said, I'm sorry, this is all I have. And I don't know what to do for you. But I do know I do know the one who does. And I said, see, I really love Jesus. And he told me to come to this corner. I think he wants you to know that he sees you. And I think he knows who can help you. So before I go, could I just pray for you that he will send someone else? who can actually She looked at me and she had teary eyes and she said, so we stood in that corner and prayed. I don't know what I said. And I walked back to the van. And I got in. 
And right as I was putting on my seatbelt, there was a crazy rap at the window. And I look to my left, and there is a young, professionally dressed 20-something standing at my window with a little bag of bagels from the nearby bagel shop crying.
And that, I think, is how it rolls when we walk with Jesus. We can just be going along on banana seat bikes, minding all our own business, and suddenly this voice that we know so well breaks through our ordinary humdrum day, and suddenly it's all turned upside down. And this is where life that is really life comes in. I think it's interesting that we live in a world where people are seeking adventure, and and yet most people are bored out of their gourd with their lives. And here we have the Seder who says, oh, if you're bored, I don't think you know me. Because there's nothing about life with Jesus that's boring or humdrum. Oh, it's hard. It can be routine. But in the hard, in the daily walk, in what could even be humdrum without him, we get invited into an adventure that starts with I often think of Peter in that boat on that night when the storm came up out of nowhere and everyone's afraid. I'm sure thinking that they probably thought that was more than an adventure than they wanted. But all of a sudden they look out on the water and they see this figure walking towards them. And they're sure it's a ghost. I mean, the disciples are screaming, it's a ghost, it's a ghost, what is that? I can't quite tell. It's, this is crazy. And suddenly, Jesus says, be still. You have nothing to fear. And Peter says, Lord, if that is really you, command me <coughs> to come on the water. See, Jesus didn't even, Peter didn't even recognize Jesus when he saw him coming towards him. He wasn't even sure it was Jesus as he started to get his bearings about him. And yet Jesus thought, if I hear your voice, I'll know if it's you. So he said, Jesus, tell me, speak to me, tell me to come. And Jesus said, And that is his invitation today. Listen. And come on the greatest adventure of your life. And then turn to your students and say, would you like to come too?